on this episode of Differently Abled with Michael Varshado. Tonight we're going to be discussing part of my life that I hadn't previously discussed, which is uh, Boy Scouting, which played a significant role in my life. And to do that is going to be my father, who was also my scoutmaster for my entire scouting career, Richard Varshado. Thank you, Michael. Good evening. So, with uh, my wife and I, with all our kids, if if uh, they if they wanted to try something, uh, we would let them try it, and if they uh, showed an interest in it, then we would encourage it. Well, it happened that uh, Michael and uh, my son Matthew um, really enjoyed scouting, so I ended up being the cub master um, for them. And then when they moved on to Boy Scouts, I ended up being the, the scoutmaster. Having Michael as a scout is a, a interesting thing because um, I'm, this might be repetitive, but uh, Michael was born uh, with cerebral palsy. He had uh, he was what's called he is what's called a, a, a left-sided um, hemi, which means the left side of his body is pretty much paralyzed. Uh, and I, I think in the earlier episodes they explained how we uh, managed to get him to be, uh, you know, to the point where. So, as I was saying, uh, he was a left-sided hemi, which means basically the left side of his body's paralyzed. And we put him uh, unbelievable hours and hours and hours of um, therapy so that... Um, as he got older, you can't even tell that that's the condition. You can't even tell that he has CP, only when he's really, really tired. But um, it was challenging. For every, every aspect of scouting was very challenging, and, and we had a very active troop, and we loved to hike. We hiked a lot of different places. Um, the Boundary Water, well, you don't hike the Boundary Waters, you roll the Boundary Waters. The uh, Shawnee National Forest, um, the land between the water, um, and then I got it in my head that I wanted to have the troop um, hike the Grand Canyon. And so for about four years, I, I uh, worked on getting that put together and raising the money to take the whole troop to the Grand Canyon to hike it. And the year before we left, we had a whole year of training. and. Um, just, just to go back a little bit, Michael in Scouts never gave up, um, even though everything was more challenging for him, everything was harder for him, everything took more effort and more time and a little bit, perhaps a little bit more breaking down the, 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 the things so he could uh, put them back together and do them. Um, and uh, so uh, Michael never complained about, you know, Dad, I can't do this, Dad, I can't do that. Uh, he always just went at it and did it, and then when it came time to go to the to train for the Grand Canyon, Michael was the for the first time in his life ever he was kind of, Dad, what if I can't make it? What if I can't do it? And I said, Michael, we're going to train, and if you can't do the training, you're not going to go. If you do the training, that means you can do it. So, and you'll go. So uh, the training was 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 everything from how to uh, sterilize water to uh, snake bites, uh, we, would, we would rehearse uh, 
we would do hikes and rehearse drinking because drink water in the Grand the amount of water you need in the Grand Canyon is much different than the amount of water you need in Illinois. First of all, there's no hills or canyons in, in Illinois, and and it's not dry in, in in the Grand Canyon. You when you sweat, the, the the water the sweat evaporates immediately, so you don't even know you're sweating. So you're you're burning up just gallons and gallons of water every day. So you have to drink every five to ten minutes while you're hiking. Otherwise, you become dehydrated and the last thing on earth you want to happen is be dehydrated in the Grand Canyon because um, there's it's not like there's a, a hospital or anything nearby but so we trained all, all of those things and one of the things that we had to do I said I decided well the hardest part about hiking the Grand Canyon is climbing out going down is is interesting and beautiful and fun but coming out is is a different story so I, I wanted them to, the boys to be prepared that they would be able to climb out. So we did this thing where, um, this training where you had to do the uh, Sears Towers, the, the stairs that are in the Sears Towers twice without stopping. Um, we didn't actually go to the Sears Towers. I had an office building that had five stories in it. So we just kept going up and down and up and down until we did the number of stories it took to do that. And of course, Michael was worried that he couldn't do it. And, and as the, the, the interesting thing about it is, Aside from me, he was the first one that managed to do get done with the, the task. And so I said, Michael, look, you know, you did that. You're going to the canyon. And he was excited, but still hesitant. And um, But we went on the trip anyway, and, and we did it the hard way. We, the, can, the, can, the south rim of the Grand Canyon is not as high as the north rim, but we, went, we, we, tra- we hiked down the south rim and across the canyon and up the north room. So we actually did it the hard way. Um, and the temperature on the south rim was, was about, I don't know, 85, 90 degrees. The temperature at the bottom of the canyon was about 135 degrees. And the temperature on the north rim when we got there was about 55 degrees. It was, it was quite an interesting uh, ordeal. We went in two groups. There were some younger scouts. They, were, they, they, they took a day longer than we did, but um, uh, Michael and, and the group that I was with, we did it in three days, which isn't which isn't particularly fast. But you're starting out with an eighty pound pack and uh, and uh, hiking all the way down to the bottom and all the way to the to the to the camp at the bottom of the canyon. The first day we were completely out of water by the time we hit the bottom of the canyon and got to the camp, so everybody was a little thirsty. Uh, um, and uh, the second day was, was kind of a nice day. It was kind of a fun day. We went and saw some waterfalls and did some fun stuff. And then uh, the third day we had to leave it, uh, because it was so hot, we left it, uh, left camp at like three in the morning so we could, we would miss a lot of the day's heat. And uh, it took us, it, t- it takes about four, four, four or five hours to go from the south rim top to the canyon floor. And uh, when you hike to where we did the second day, from that point, it takes at least eight hours to hike out. So it's about twice as long to hike out as it is to hike in. And uh, so we started hiking, and when you're, when you're hiking the Grand Canyon and you're hiking out and you're going up, you look up and you say, wow, I got that far to go. And then you hike for like four hours and you look up and you're like, wow, it doesn't look like we went anywhere. And uh, so it seems like you're never going to get out. Uh, but we hiked and... and uh, one of the, one of the neatest parts of this whole uh, trip was um, we got to the 
almost to the trailhead. The trailhead just means you're out of the canyon. We were about 100 yards from the trailhead. And I, I said to Michael, I said, you know what? You've been saying all along that you weren't going to be able to do this, that you weren't going to make it. We're 100 yards from doing this. And uh, so he and I ran screaming and yelling the last 100 yards. And uh, it was the coolest thing. I, and him and Matthew, too. But it was the coolest thing ever. And uh, I, I'm fairly positive that that's a moment that he will never forget because I know it's a moment I will never forget. I, I've never been so proud of him. Um, said he could do that. Uh, everybody said, including himself, that he couldn't do it, including his mother. She didn't want him to go. She was afraid for, you know, that he would get hurt or something. And I said, you know what? We gotta let him. We gotta let him do it. If he thinks he can do it, he can do it. And uh, once, once he did the, uh, once he did the Sears Tower steps, I was like, I knew he could do it because if he can do that, he could, he could do that. Anyway. But uh, the, the end of Michael's career as a Boy Scout was he became an Eagle Scout, and, uh, which, which, you know, is the highest rank you can achieve as a Boy Scout. So um, it's, it's uh, wonderful that Michael is an Eagle Scout in addition to everything else he's accomplished in his life, everything else that people said he couldn't do or wouldn't do. Um, from the moment he was born, people have been saying he couldn't do it, and uh, he keeps doing it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Differently Abled by Michael Barchetto. Today I'd like to discuss some of the extracurricular activities I did as a young boy and things that I just found fun and interesting. One of the major things that I did, and my parents always encouraged me to try anything I ever wanted to do, but one of the things that I stuck with all the way to the end was um, scouting. I began scouting in grade school, where my father actually became my scoutmaster, and I met a number of uh, really good friends that I still have to this day, and as it turned out, as time went on, I went to... um, ended up going to school with many of these uh, same young boys and young men. But I learned several valuable lessons in scouting, as I think most young boys do. One that I still subscribe to this day was um, being prepared. I tried to do that in uh, every aspect of my life, um, whether it be personal, professional, but always being prepared, and I've taken that to mean more than uh, just prepared with physical things like a car, books for school, things like that, the appropriate things for hiking if you're hiking, but I've taken it to mean be prepared for things in life, because as we all know, things aren't going to go the way we always plan them to do. You're going to hit bumps in the road. You're going to hit snags. And whether that's your educational life, your professional life, your personal life, they're going to happen. So I find that if I try to prepare myself for any given, any eventuality, it, uh, it really does help me to be sort of ready for what I'm going to face throughout the day. 
One of the things I, I liked about scouting, most of all, was that we got to do all sorts of things and sort of enjoy the outdoors and, and learn about a lot of things about the outdoors because I feel that, especially in today's day and age, kids spend a little too much time in, on technology and they don't really get to explore the outdoors much anymore. But one of my most favorite uh, experiences had to come when we were in, uh, when I was in Boy Scouts. And again, my father was the uh, scoutmaster. It was the fact that our troop did a lot of hiking. We liked to do a lot of hiking in a lot of places. Uh, the Grand Canyon, the Boundary Waters, um, summer camps, things like that. But we didn't do, you know, your average trail hikes. We wanted to make our hikes difficult and fun and different. So we would often go off the beaten path, as it were. We would try to find a trail that was virtually unused and or had trees or rocks to climb, things like that. It was that always was a lot of fun. But this is where two of my biggest uh, issues came into play. One was my learning disability and inability to motor plan. And the other was just the simple physical aspect of hiking some of these trails because they were just that difficult. They weren't your average, normal, everyday trail. I can remember one specific experience at uh, Starve Rock, actually. We spent the, the weekend there as a troop and we um, decided to do some hiking. So one of the things we ended up doing as a troop was we found a, a rock face. And we thought, okay, that looks cool. Let's go climb it or see if we can climb it anyway. And, and we ended up doing that. But throughout that time period while we were doing that, I had noticed that um, there were parts of it where it was difficult to find a foothold and to, um, or find a hand grip to be able to climb the rock face. So this is where I tended to be a little bit slower than some of my counterparts because I had to plan in my head and stop and think and say, okay, if I put my hand here, where do I have to put my foot next? If I put my foot there, where does my hand go next? And this is something that your average Boy Scout or hiker doesn't need to worry about because they don't have motor planning issues. So they look at it and they take one look at it, know exactly where to put their foot or their arm every single time because they don't have difficulty motor planning or difficulty with spatial issues the way that I do. <laughs> but I took my time and I uh, eventually you know, was man managed to climb the rock face. And there were a couple times where, you know, I thought wrong and I didn't almost fall, but I could have, as I clearly, you know, went through it, could have done things better. So, and, and the funny part about that particular uh, event was the fact that uh, when we got to the top of the rock face, a uh, tourist bus had actually pulled up. 
And that was kind of funny because to me because here we do all this hiking and rock climbing and five seconds later a tour bus pulls up, which I thought was sort of funny. But uh, moving on now to the to the Grand Canyon. In 2001, my father got the idea that uh, the troop should try something really different and try to uh, hike the Grand Canyon. So for the previous two to three years before the event, my father spent time uh, fundraising and, and getting money together so we could go hike the Grand Canyon. And there were two sets of us that went from the troop the older group, which was myself, my brother, and three or four other boys, and the younger group, which took a, a day b behind us. So we got the money together in the summer of 2001. <laughs> I was 19. I uh, was in the phys best physical shape of my life. And uh, we went out and we hiked the Grand Canyon. We um, started on the south rim and did south to north which actually is the more difficult way to do it because you the south rim is lower than the north rim obviously it's lower by about 4,000 feet so as you're climbing out you're not only going up but you're going up way up so the first day we hiked down the south rim to the, just before the bottom of the canyon. And one of the biggest things I think I learned during this time, besides being, having to, again, motor plan and watch my foot placement, was the uh, benefit of water. Because you really have to have a lot of water when you do a hike like this, because, <laughs> excuse me, it's uh, the Grand Canyon, and it's not like you can stop at a house or a gas station on your way down. There is no water. You have to carry it with you. And that is also an un another big point about this particular hike is that whatever you carry in, you've got to then carry out. So the troop, and we were all very big on making sure our packs were packed with everything that was essential, but uh, as light as possible. So we hiked down the first day, and we, we noticed some very interesting animals that that uh, first day, we noticed these things called, uh, what we ended up referring to them as push-up lizards. They were lizards that, when they would get overheated, would do what they looked to be uh, push-ups, which was just hysterical to us. We thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And uh, so that was the, the first day. Then there was the second day, where we hiked down the rest of the, to the middle of the canyon. And uh, we... Um, then hiked further into the center before hiking out. One of the the things that it, that I noticed was um, the fact that there was uh, there was again wildlife in the, in the Grand Canyon. One of the things was deer. They were completely unafraid of humans. They would walk right up to me if, if as if it were almost a dog. You know, begging for food, which to us was kind of wild because. Out here in Chicago, where I live, you're never going to get that close to a deer that isn't in a zoo. So that was an, an interesting experience. And uh, also during that day, 
there was a, a family that actually lived in the canyon. And they were nice enough to, they had a water pump on their, on their land, and they were nice enough to say, you know, any hikers who need water, please feel free to take some. Which I thought was really kind of cool. Because it was the only place we were going to get more water if we needed it that day. So, <laughs> that was really, really kind of neat. And then we come to the third day. So we're at the bottom. Actually, excuse me, second, back check. So one of the other things we did on that second day was we um, had gotten to a point in the where you could jump into the Colorado River. Well, the temperature that day was 135, 136 where we were standing. So we um, saw the Colorado River and thought, wow, it's hot. We should jump in. Lo and behold, did we know the Colorado River was about 42 degrees. So my dad was the first to, to jump in and... You know, he's telling us, oh yeah, it's it's fine, it's it's totally cool, you'll be alright. So, I didn't have the courage to jump in, but my brother did. He jumped in, I, I asked him what it was like, and he said, uh, all the heat just gets sucked out of your body. And it's almost like instantly having hypothermia, it was the weirdest sensation because he went from the hottest he'd ever been to probably the coldest he'd ever been in a span of about four seconds and there were some other really really cool waterfalls and things that I did eventually go into but again during this little uh, respite as it were I really had to, to think about my, my motor planning because there were places where I could slip or fall so I really had to give that some thought unlike the counterpart, my counterparts that I were with, was with. But again, I, I managed to do it, and it was uh, a fun experience, again. So then, going back to the third day, we started hiking, I'd say, that day at about 3, 3.30 in the morning, because we had learned after the pr previous two days that it gets really hot in the middle of the day, and you really want to avoid, you know, hiking at 1, 2, 3 o'clock. So, we started hiking, and um, you go in about an hour, hour and a half, you start hiking, and you think, man, I, I really haven't gone anywhere. I still got to get out that. That's pretty far. Another funny experience for that was you, you'd pass somebody, and you'd ask, hey, about how far to the top? And their response always was the same, about an hour. Hike for another hour, hour and a half. Think the same thing. Man, we're not like getting anywhere. Pass somebody else. About how far to the top? About an hour. That was always their response. No matter who you passed, no matter how long, you were always about an hour away from the top, which was kind of funny. Another experience, which I really have to thank one of our older scouts, who's older than me, his name was Nick. He uh, he saved my life in the Grand Canyon. Actually, we were hiking up, and uh, there's a part at which you get to going to the North Rim that gets very, very thin. The path is probably less than the... Uh, the width of it is less than that of a sidewalk. 
and over it is a drop, which is about, I'd say, two or 3,000 feet down. You might hit a couple switchbacks on your way down, but still a uh, long way down anyway. So I'm walking this path, and I'm, again, really working hard on my foot placement and where I'm putting my feet. And uh, I put my foot down, and I, I started to slip. And I started to go over to the side where there is no wall. It's the drop. And out, out of nowhere, I get sort of lurched backwards to the to the part where the uh, the rock faces are. And I look back, and it's my buddy Nick. And he grabbed me and pulled me back over. And to this day, I, I owe him my life. Because if with the way the wind was gusting that day, had he not grabbed me, I wouldn't be talking to you today. And then uh, we get to the about 100 yards from the top. And... During the whole experience, <laughs> the training, which was really tough, I, for the first time in my life, told my dad, I don't know that I can hike the canyon. I, I just don't think I can do it. It was the first time in my life I'd ever said, I don't think I can do something. And he was always like, you know what? You are going to do it, and you can, because I believe in you, and I know you really believe in yourself. So we did it. We were 100 yards from the north rim of the canyon. And he says, you know what? You didn't think you could do this, but you did it anyway. I knew you could. So let's do it right. Let's run that 100 yards. And my brother, myself, my father, two other friends, went running that 100 yards through the top of the canyon. And it was just a, a very, very neat experience, an experience I will, will never forget as long as I live. One of the funniest things about that particular moment, we're at the very entrance to the North Rim, and we're kind of out of breath, and we're, we're sitting there. And I look to my right, and about, I'd say, 50, 60 yards from me, not even, are two vultures just kind of sitting there, waiting. And my dad and my brother and I burst out laughing <laughs> because... We thought that was really funny. Like, they had been waiting for us or following us, we're not sure which, to figure out if one of us would drop. So to sort of put a bow on this part of the story, as it were, we went up to sit in an, an observation deck. And uh, I remember standing there, looking over the canyon, the sun setting, and uh, a couple comes to me and said, so where do you guys come from? And I said, well, what about you guys? Oh, Colorado. And I looked at him and I said, the bottom. And it was just a really kind of neat experience. He said, well, what do you mean, the bottom? I said, I hiked the canyon in three days. This is the third day, and we just hiked our way out. So that's my uh, the Grand Canyon story and uh, the experiences that I had during that. One of the other best things that I've found about scouts is that I did actually was make Eagle. And that was something we always talked about. My dad, my brother, two or three buddies of mine. Always getting there, finishing it, making Eagle. And that's the way we refer to it in Scouts, is make an Eagle. 
So I did, in fact, my brother and I both made Eagle Scout. And um, we did two different service projects. Mine was a bookshelf for a North Chicago church. His was a food drive for a local pantry in Elmhurst. And another one of my best friends to this day, Joey, he also made Eagle. And we all did it at the same. We all turned our papers in at the same time. So we all started Cub Scouting together with my father in grade school and finished as his first three Eagle Scouts at the end of high school. And I wouldn't give those years for anything. They were some of the best times of my life with my dad and with my friends and my brother. And they were rough sometimes. One of the big things, as as you find out as you get older, is that uh, it's not cool to be in scouts. (laughs) It's not the cool thing to do. But I am so immensely glad that I stuck with my brother did and my dad and my buddies did. And we all made Eagle together. And these days, I tell anyone who's in scouting that I see that hasn't made Eagle yet, stick with it. You gotta make Eagle, you gotta get, you gotta make Eagle. It's, you'll have experiences you never forget and it's well worth it. I know you're gonna have times where your friends don't think it's cool, but stick with it, cause it really is. Thank you. Please join me next time when I go into what high school was like for me and those experiences. Again, on this 4th of July, I want to send out a sincere thank you to all my listeners who have found me on all the various platforms and who continue to listen to my story. I also hope that you, again, find something from these stories And use it in your own life in some way to make things better.